0: Thanks for listening to another episode of Dell and Jess. If you like this episode, please comment and give us a five-star rating on whatever platform you're using to listen to the show. Follow us on Twitter and at Dell and Jess and shoot us your questions, thoughts, and ideas at the Dell and Jess Show at gmail.com. Mm.
1: hi Jeff. hey del so we're back um we're we've back. been gone from, Yeah, yet we are we're back um we've been away for a bit but there's lots of things that have happened in the christian world and so we figured that we'd come back and you know do our usual Yes. um and so let's just jump right in i have some news for you jessica are you ready
0: yes spill the okay. tea sir spill the tea oh,
1: okay well this isn't really tea as it is really more like you know hydrochloric acid but okay <laughs> Um, Are we
0: talking alien acid or are we talking?
1: (laughs) It's just mess. It's very corrosive, but it's, we'll just get through. So our first order of business today on our news docket is about the Southern Baptist Church. Um, The Southern Baptist Church is, I believe, the largest Christian denomination in America. If it's not number one, it's certainly number two. That much I will say. Um, But they had their annual conference, annual meeting, whatever you want to call it. I don't even know if they meet annually or not. I just know that they they were having their big denomination-wide meeting last week. And a Black pastor who was a part of the Southern Baptist Church by the name of Reverend McKissick Mm -hmm. um, proposed a motion on the floor to have the Southern Baptist Church um, denounce the alt right. Um, you know the alt right is the new fancy name that Nazis are calling themselves in America nowadays. Right, um, Nazis. Yeah, Ku Klux it's, yeah, it's their rebranding. They're right. they're concerned about their image, and right. so they're calling themselves you know the alt right because it's much more snicky clean than you know Nazi. Yeah, or or or, or a domestic terrorist, um, and so. Now, what I noticed when I saw all this stuff last week is what happened is when he first proposed the 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 motion, um it was it it, it was voted down, like it didn't go through. Right. And so everybody was like, um Southern Baptist Church turned down a chance to denounce the alt right. And so eventually they ended up let they ended up moving it through. They said the first time that it was some type of Inappropriate language or something in it. And in my mind, I'm like, well, I mean, do you mean like cuss words or something? Like, no, they what? didn't
0: mean cuss words. They mean basically calling a spade a spade. And they didn't want to alienate the people that sit in their pews every Sunday that are really the biggest bigots on planet Earth.
1: So Yeah, it's just weird though. It's like, okay, what type of inappropriate language was it? But eventually they got it through. And I mean, I've been to enough meetings like this to know that sometimes it's not necessarily, this isn't me letting them off of the hook, but sometimes there are situations where it's not necessarily that they agree with, that they disagree with whatever the motion or the move is. It has to go through proper channels. Um, It's still BS. So I'm not at all, you you know, giving them a chance. I just know that sometimes, I mean, without knowing what the thing said before, you can't really say. Well, actually,
0: that's the issue because there was, I want to say it was either Charisma News, Charisma News or Christianity Today. Um, and a couple of other like religious correspondents that actually contribute to, you know, they write up about things that go on in the evangelical, evangelical world
1: mm-hmm. that
0: we're talking about the overall process from Ms. McKissick's introduction to it to the fight to actually even get it to be voted on to, you know, to, for the, the, I guess, the statement denouncing the alt-right, you know, for that to happen. And it was interesting because they were so focused on this other stuff. And he was just like, how can you say, you know, you had a couple of other noted evangelical, uh, Black evangelicals that were like, you can't sit up here and say that you're for the gospel and you don't denounce racism. And I think it was to, be, to BT and your your and I, I know who
1: he is. I have yes. no. I'm not even going to try.
0: Right. It's, <laughs> I think it's Ennio will be try. late. Enyo will be late. But he actually, you know, he issued a statement saying this is deplorable. Then all of a sudden, it started to trend on Twitter.
1: Listen, and... can I stop you for a second? Just yeah. right there. Here's he can go. All of them can really go. And here's I mean, everybody why
0: everybody knows they can go.
1: They like, can go. Other
0: <laughs> Baptist haven't been relevant. Listen, haven't been relevant since Jimmy Carter. Okay.
1: Well, the thing about it is, too, they've lost. I believe I read about a million members in a certain amount of like amount of years. Like, I mean, like everybody else, their numbers are decreasing. The only people's numbers who haven't decreased so rapidly is Black, like faith, like like Black Christianity, and even right. those numbers are dropping. But those are the only ones that have bucked the trend. Right. Um, for a number of other reasons, but my thing about it is, particularly um, I, again, and I, I'm, I don't know how to say his name. I have not tried to say his name, and because I've read the other things that he said, I usually don't care about.
0: Right, I, I, I have to agree so, with you there. I get It's a
1: little bit like, oh, that's that person, whoever it is. That's what he's saying. Oh, I don't really.
0: You mean you mean the Black Christian Uncle Ruckus? It's, I mean, I
1: mean, well, which one? <laughs> it's a number of them and so it's a number of them that fit that bill and so my whole thing is that it's real cute to say oh well I'm not even saying because you, you know like with my jobs and something that I've done like there is a significant thing to have statements like that I've written and I've helped to write statements like that and so it's not like they don't do anything it's not like they don't serve some sort of purpose like even in the Supreme Court if you are dissenting against something that's wrong, the dissent right. that you write can still historically be used for something useful. You know right. what I mean? So it's not right. that it's a waste, but what is true is that to go through all these links to have the Southern Baptist church which is still overwhelmingly white. Um, put something on a piece of paper, or well, while at the same time, you still support policies and things that still damage black America, you still say things that you you still believe myths and untruths about black america you still support politicians and policies that harm black america so i'm as much as i'm like look and i don't really know what from like i don't know him i don't know what his i don't know what his theology is right and right. so i'm giving the benefit of the doubt he is southern baptist <laughs> so at some point you have to say how much room can you give him
0: Right.
1: <laughs> to be fair? But I don't, I don't know It's theology. Like I know the other folks. And so maybe he's different. Maybe he is. I don't know. It's just that for me, I'm not, it's hard to, 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 to give somebody a hand clap and a job well done when, when, a lot of your rhetoric has helped us get here in the first place.
0: Well, it's not just your rhetoric. It's your money. Like, I mean, when you think about what the Southern, like Southern Baptists and, and not just people like Southern Baptist, like folks like in, in the Rick Warren camp and the family, you know, research council, you know, I mean, you're transplanting your hope homophobia and hate crimes like globally. You know, oh. it's, it's, it's very problematic.
1: And another thing, here's something that I normally, that people don't put these two things together. I know a lot of folks still on the internet are yelling at folks who didn't vote, particularly black folks who said they they didn't want to vote for Hillary in the election. But what I've never seen anyone fully do is call out these pastors because a number of them said, listen, if you vote, you know, if, if Hillary... It goes against your conscience and you can't just stomach to vote for trump leave it blank no one's yelling at them yeah and they're i'm pretty sure it's more of them than it is the other people and well, so again yeah. it's it's hard to be like oh good job thanks for standing up when you know what i mean like yeah. it, it's really hard to feel like oh thanks for fighting a good fight i'm not saying like Maybe some the good will come for this. I, all, I, I always think that at every moment, situations like this can prove a moment of understanding and consciousness building among people. So I don't at all want to diminish that. It's just very hard for me knowing what I know mm-hmm. to be like, oh, that's what's up. Like, good job. Thanks for the fight. When you help these, I like, the anti-blackness, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? That, 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 you know, the way that these ideas are perpetuated by black people in these denominations. Okay. So you're against racism, but how are you against racism? Right. Are you just against racism? Like, you know, the nominal stuff that, Oh, my feelings are hurt racism, because I'm not saying that's not important, but if you're still talking about how we need black daddies and we got to stop black on black crime and you're still vote, revol- you know, you're still voting Republican all other ways what am I supposed to do? Like, how am I supposed to be happy for you standing up today? Particularly if there's not evidence that there's going to be a shift in how you do stuff afterward.
0: Right. Especially when you don't think that any of your potential, like there's no leeway or any possibility for you to even concede or admit, you know what? I may have been wrong about this particular point or I may have been wrong about this particular belief. I mean,
1: all-
0: yeah. Yeah. It's like, to me, it's kind of like, it kind of reminds me of the whole safety pins. <laughs> I mean, really, when you think about it, because it's like,
1: you did know. you just call it a safety pin? Really like, are you it. just comparing this to the safety I pin? I am. I sure am. <laughs> Sorry, that's funny to me. Because the- everybody got- thought this was the biggest battle in the world, and you were like, no, it's just a safety pin.
0: Nope. <laughs> I mean it's great. I need mean, I mean I mean I could definitely use it to, you know, adjust to him, but that's about it.
1: You know, I think and, and I was a, harsher than usual when it came to the safety pin joints. And I think a lot of people were like, Well, Ridell, isn't that kind of harsh? And I'm like, listen, look, I totally understand the need to want to demonstrate how that you're a safe person in a safe space. My, if you've had, if you've had, if you need to put on a safety pit like if you're around people who, you know, every single day that you've you've interacted with every single day, they don't already know that you're safe or not. Right. You know? And I think too, and again, let's assume best intentions, right? Right. Uh, Best of intentions. However, people, when they attract, when they try to do allyship, a lot of times it's very representational. And mm-hmm. It's about being seen, yep. Um, but not necessarily about changing the realities right. of the people who they're supposed to be allying with,
0: right? Um, or like, and, that, and that goes
1: for everybody. Like everybody right. can be that way, so. right?
0: Absolutely. I was saying that to I was at work, and I was talking about this very topic. And I said to this said to this coworker, I said, "You want to show that you you you're a safe person? Check your your relatives. Check your coworkers when they say something out of pocket." Doesn't matter whether that said the said person is there or not. You wanna show that you're safe. Have those conversations and say, look, that's not cool. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Have the conversations you don't that I can't you're not have. See me. Yeah, I agree. I mean, again, now I think too it's fair to give some context about the Southern Baptist church though. Like the Southern Baptist Church I mean, the Southern Baptist Church exists because the this is a domination in the group of people who I wanted know. to keep slavery. I yes. mean, some of our some of our listeners might not know. And well, so think this, about
0: Benedict Cumberbatch and 12 Years a Slave. That's what I think of when I think of Southern Baptists.
1: Well, I mean, in recent years, well, I, here's the thing. I think this is also a good example to demonstrate how close the legacy of slavery still is to all of us. True. I don't think people recognize that what, slavery has been over for what? One hundred fifty years?, Oof. around there. And so one hundred fifty years is my grandmother's grandmother. yep, that's it. Yep. And so, if you have a great grandma, well, if you had a great grandma, her mom, you know you know what I mean, like it, it even, like I don't think people realize things like that. So it's like this yeah. is like, you know, I mean, granted it to us, it feels like forever, but that's really, we're talking about two people's full lifetimes back to back. That's it. Um, and so, I mean, that's why, even the reason why you have a United Methodist church is that the Methodist church split Mm -hmm. again over what? Slavery. Um, (laughs) and so with the Southern Baptist church, these deep, ra- these racist roots go deep. Like, it is no surprise that right. when you click open the Gospel Coalition page or, or any of these other preachers who are affiliated with folks like that, that you see some of these deep rooted racist ideas. Even though they might be packaged very nicely, it's, by, it's not a coincidence. And it wasn't until 1995 that they actually repented and apologized for slavery. And it wasn't until 2000, when would they, they just recently in the past couple of years elected their first black president over the, you know, Southern Baptist church. Um, And so it's so many firsts for denomination that existed for a long time, but it's only been within the past, what, 15 years that they've actually done something, something nominal at that. To um reconcile their past, yeah, so the fact that they argued about denouncing Nazis and the Klan, <laughs> I'm laughing because it's like this is ex- like, yeah, this is think about all these folks these folks their relatives are the alt right, they are the Klan. right if we're being a if we're being a thousand percent about it.
0: Right. No. And on top of that, not only are they a thousand, there are the but they are also completely like they're unfortunately they are in environments where they're not really a part of major cities Mm -hmm. and they are extremely insular. Mm-hmm. So as a as a result of not just being racist, you're also xenophobic. Because I mean, yeah, you're right. Because the point of the contention in regards to this whole, um, the language about the the resolution denouncing the alt right was it was a portion that that mentioned and addressed and denounced xenophobia, not just racism, and it it alludes to othering. Mm -hmm. And they didn't I think they didn't like that because, a, you're basically pulling up in the driveway, busting through the front door and saying, yeah, let's let's you know, I'm coming home to roost because you're not just talking about racist. You're talking about like the anti-immigrant sentiment. So, you know, it's you know, it's 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 definitely going to ruffle a whole bunch of feathers. And let's not forget that, you know, this is also the same denomination that has encountered some division over Darth Cheeto here. Because you had Russell Moore, who is who is like a prominent, prominent figure in the Southern Baptist Convention. And he was like, you can't call yourself a Christian to appear and support Donald Trump. Despite, which is, to, to me, it's just like, wait, I'm sorry, I'm confused. You still hold these racist, heteropatriarchal views in your theology, but you still have a problem with Donald Trump. I'm so confused. Like, wait a minute. I mean, the fact that it was
1: even a discussion, I think that that's the thing too, is that it's, I mean, 81% of evangelicals said yes. And so there are the whatever idea about their morality has totally jumped the shark, period. But I think that what's important here. And even in that way, like when you were talking about like the cities and things like that, and everybody is crying about, oh, the Midwest, everyone forgot about, the, you know, the middle America, everyone is all focused on the cities. And while there is truth that honestly, in my opinion, both political parties right. dropped the ball, I think the other piece of that in the greater context of, of history is that, all right when when black and brown people were around, y'all y'all packaged us in the cities, yep, and kept the nice parts of the city in the suburbs for you all. Y'all wouldn't let us move to the suburbs, right? Now, you know, it, it's it's just weird. It's like this idea that everybody, the, the idea is that oh, well, everyone's so focused on the cities, and when people say city and urban, that means black and brown. But y'all kept us out of the suburbs, right? You, you know what I mean? Like it's it's so strange to me, like the way and it does. And the thing about it is this: it doesn't mean that you can't be economically anxious, but the way that you handle your economic anxiety, like people have been economically anxious and and. and racism has been a tool to handle economic anxiety since there's been capitalism, pretty much. Right, right. And so, again, just this idea that, oh, no, the cast of Roseanne was very upset, and they were scared that they were going to lose their jobs. And so in order to deal with this existential threat, they decided, hey, let's all be racist, as if it was just, like, came out of nowhere. And I think that's the thing. It's like, no, I get... I can appreciate the economic anxiety. The truth is, everybody and most people in America are economically anxious. Yep. Um, no, nobody has no money. No one has as much as they should have. If we're being totally honest about it, right? Because um,
0: it's a deflection. It's a deflection from like the you know the fact that you have globalization, and then you have the reality that I think there's this white fear. It's like, oh my gosh, there's nowhere we can hide anymore because, our you know, we're not the majority. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh my gosh, we really aren't the majority. I mean, it's not like they ever, like they were, but it was just. But it's, it's it's the it's distraction. Been some time. I
1: i have been reflecting on a Toni Morrison quote about all of this when she talks about how racism, and for me, I stand to all the other isms, how mm-hmm. it's a distraction. Yep. And the reality, and I was reading in a great book um, by, I'm hoping, I hope I'm saying her name right, um, Kagina Yamada-Taylor mm-hmm. um, called From Black, From Black Lives Matter to Black Liberation. And she talks about toward the end of the book how the truth is we all have more in common with one another than we realize yep. in order to build coalitions to change things. And so if you put me in a room With It's me, Barack Obama, and economically anxious, racist white guy from, you know, Michigan. The truth is me and the white guy from Michigan have way more in common than Barack Obama. If we're really being honest about it. But racism obscures that. Racism obscures the realities that me and the white guy we got together and not that not that there's not issues that we have to work out but we'll look at obama and say oh well me and obama have a common because we both look black um and the reality is no right <laughs> it's not at all right and it's not right. that race isn't important um is and it's very important um but racism distracts from the fact that Oh well, this white guy thinks that everything will be great as long as he gets to be on top. But he's on top of what? And she made she put this quote in there saying that you know, the gap, be, the wealth gap between blacks and whites has closed, not because blacks are doing better, but because whites are doing worse. Like that, like that's really what's happening. Like the four and five Americans have been on welfare, been in poverty, job insecurity. That's white folks. It's not just like black people are overrepresented in poverty and stuff like that. But the truth is, is that there's like 19 million white people in poverty, Mm. 19 million people in poverty, Mm. 19 million whites. So some, some, it's a distraction because not even white people are making it like that. Um, Not the way that it may look on, you know, on its face. Um, but even with the Southern Baptist thing, it's like you—it it could be better. But like I said in the beginning, I don't—I get it. It was newsworthy, but I'm not really impressed. Particularly because it's like, oh okay, this video is going to be between you talking about family values, and we all know what that means. So um, <laughs> we
0: can't have the women and the gays having sex.
1: Exactly. You know. So that's why I'm like, okay, I don't really think I want your liberation. I'll just stay here. Um, no, thank you. Um, So are we done with them? Can we move on from?
0: Yes. Yes, please.
1: All right. So let's move on. So next bit that we'll talk about is a Dallas pastor and spiritual life coach. Her name is Tonya Baker. Um, She is going on a crusade of sorts against side chicks. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I I just stopped because I, I I saw it and I thought to myself. And the guest speaker of said event,
1: I mean, okay. Um, well, she says that once we get back to respecting marriage as a covenant and not a contract, then we'll start to see infidelity cease. Um, and oh, this line is really funny to me. It says here. Dallas Pastor Tanya Baker, and okay, so wait a minute. We're going to have to get them a copy editor because they spell her name three different ways and whatever. That's that that's whatever. But anyways, um, Dallas Pastor, is her name Tanya or Tonya? I don't know. We'll go with both for now. We'll just flip a coin because they didn't spell in the right the same way either way. She says that God has given her the ability to see into the lives of others, and she's using that gift to fight infidelity because she she's had it <laughs> with your thirsty ways, so she is sick and tired of y'all being thirsty, and y'all are not mean? thirsty for living water. Y'all are thirsty for somebody else's spouse, somebody else's meet, Amen.
0: Wait, 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 wait. You wait, have
1: to wait. first for the water that does not run dry. You have to thirst for so the right weird. water. Wait Amen a minute, somebody.
0: Hmm? But she's wait. wait but okay, yeah. questions the need answer. Um, I was you
1: interrupted. I was preaching. I was about to really. I was about to really gear up. You interrupted my. my I'm preaching sorry, moment. because it
0: sounded like it sounded like a series of wives in waiting tweets. Like, I, I, there's only so much I could possibly stomach.
1: You need to thirst for the living water. That's what she's trying to tell the saints in this hour, in this dispensation of grace. Amen. Amen. I'm sorry. I'll stop now. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, turn to your neighbor and say thirsty i am thirsty no more (laughs) (laughs) playing church is so much fun okay i'm done i'm sorry
0: (laughs) (laughs) i can't
1: but she's Uh she's quite something um Oh, get this. Apparently, whoever wrote this, too, thinks that she is, like, the best thing since sliced bread. And so, it's this paragraph. Oh, God. Pastor Tanya Baker of the Incredible Church. What? That's the name of her church? The Incredible Church?
0: What is her superpower? I don't...
1: <laughs> like, what? I mean, she's she's an in incredible, like, I mean... I'm sorry. I didn't mean... <laughs> I missed that before the incredible church oh my god what like what is she what is she a
0: super because she's definitely not a super of, of anything that would qualify as you know of she getting rid has
1: of the, the ability to see into people's lives that is incredible right
0: no i mean it, i mean i don't think i, I honestly the only thing it sounds like she's basically can see into is being a potential cast member of the Real Housewives or I mean or what is it the Preachers of LA or whatever I police. miss
1: them I want that show to come back because they were like delightfully messy oh goodness it was the I just mean, right amount of mess
0: right she would fit hands. right in with that mess like it wasn't and like it was you so know illegal like, she's talking about a covenant but there's no conversation about what you don't have a, a male version of this
1: well, you know what happens when the Saints talk about marriage is always divorce, which is probably no, an ironic no, I, way no, to put I get it.
0: That. I'm just, just talking like about the, where's, where's the, the uh, what is it called? The complimenting ministry for men that are the the male gigalos that are on the side. Because, I mean, if we're talking about keeping it 100, um, men are not the only ones who have side checks.
1: Well, the thing about it, well, you know... I mean, women
0: and are, are not the only ones who have side checks.
1: The, the reality of these situations is that... Mm, or side pieces. The vast majority of purity laws, sexual purity, understanding rules and laws, are about con- policing female bodies. Um, that's really what they're about. Um, there's, that's just really, there's no other way to cut down to it. It's about policing and, and dictating no matter how well-meaning they may be. Like you never see purity ring parties for boys. You never see, I mean, people mention it. It's mentioned out of just sheer fairness, but the overall thrust of purity, sexual, um, purity movement, all that other stuff, the thrust of that. And, and you can see that across, honestly, many e- religions even. Um, it's about control. And
0: yep. the
1: thing about these situations that always gets me is that when they talk about relationship being between, it's a covenant, it's like, okay, but you... It's just, it's, it's strange the way it's discussed. Like, if, it's nothing wrong with wanting to protect your marriage and having boundaries. I think right. that, that's totally fine. But it's this idea that... It's still coming from a very, it's coming from an idea of marriage that one, the Bible doesn't say the vast majority of this, and two, it's always planted on the woman. It's somehow the woman's fault. The woman wasn't having sex enough. The woman wasn't doing something. The woman gained too much weight or the woman did X, Y, Z. And so the woman has to do everything to keep her man from wandering off and entertaining side chicks. So apparently men are stupid and unable to control themselves and men's ability to control themselves are totally dependent upon whether or not their woman wants to raise a child when they're 45. (laughs) Yeah, That's really what it seems. It it seems like men are like children. Um, Men have no ability to manage themselves. No one ever asks, you know, the women have to keep themselves up. The men don't have to go to the gym. The women have to get their hair done. The men don't have to go get a shape up. Like, it's just really, it's strange. And so it's very insulting to men. It assumes that they don't have the capacity to be any of these things.
0: Right, but Um, on top of that, look at the dynamic in which it's being promoted. It's it's one of being like, relationships being one of possession Mm -hmm. and not companionship, not partnership. Like, it sounds like a job. (laughs)
1: And oh, not... <laughs> I'm sorry. I just read the last paragraph of this. I i I miss all of this. Okay, do you want me to read this to you?
0: Oh, what, what what are you about to read to me?
1: Oh, from it's from that article. It's from the oh, same I, article. I saw
0: the part about her being a, a R and B singer. It's just sound like, oh, this was the this was the next move.
1: Well, no, it it's I believe it's she's her daughter is an R and B a Dallas R and B singer and a licensed pastor. Um, so she's having these no-side-chick sessions along with merchandise. And um, the, these will benefit Incredible Church. D- of course it will. Of course which it is will. located on Dallas' struggling South Side and is congregated by the prostitutes, the sick, the hungry, and anyone else in need of healing oh there's just so much wrong with all (laughs) of those words and we really can't even discuss all of it i will say though that when we get to the sunday school topic i'm gonna remind me to bring this up again about the whole idea about her um the merchandise and the sales because that's an important thing to keep in mind but uh, if this is
0: if this is the amway adjacent
1: why is ch- church does not have to be amway but i we'll talk about that later but of course she really i mean she's she's having no side chick sessions. so if you don't want side chicks in your marriage you need to sign up for her class like does she have like mugs and stuff
0: no see
1: that's i just want to know what type of-, of merchandise she has
0: See, this is the kind of stuff that'll start off with this, like the, the same thing with with your discovering. I don't know if it was you or Whitney talking about the the Christian uh, sorority.
1: <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. You gonna have us tears over here because you know what made that Christian sorority thing so. Well, you know, but for I listeners who don't know, I was a part of a Christian fraternity, and we also have sisters. Um, and so it's so funny because you s- the same things that people were saying about them, people said about us, and it's so funny to see it from a different perspective. Um, it's just like, wow, this is really one. It's an incredible bite of somebody else's style. That's just. It's really no way around that. Like, you know, particularly if we're talking about Black Greek organizations and, you know, mm-hmm. you have your line jacket and your number mm-hmm. and your call and your strolls and even down to things like pearls and whatever. It's a huge bite. Like,
0: it, yeah.
1: Like opening your mouth up wide, chomp down, yank and pull type of bite. And so I get it. I understand that. But also, it's just this idea that. If we can just make, if we can just inject churchiness into something, then people will want it. And it's like, what? You know, it's yeah. just. But I yeah. mean, it's, it's it's yeah. That's
0: part and parcel of evangelicalism, though. Like, do you remember the uh, John Chris post about how to make your your pastor more relevant? Like the make the makeover.
1: Well, see, the problem is that they actually do it better. Like, I think that's the thing. Is like, what mainstream evangelicals when they do this type of stuff mm-hmm. the the people who, and, and I think too what's tough for people, particularly I think for some African Americans, is that if they did not, like you can go to black church and not be exposed to mainline traditions mm-hmm. like if we're thinking about some churches that we've gone to, right. those were more evangelical mm-hmm. right, and the evangelical experience even if it's a black one is different from the black mainline church experience. Those are two different experiences, even though there's definitely overlap. So it's right. not like they're they're cut and dry experiences. Right. Um so but what one thing that has made evangelical culture last so long is that it's malleable and it's durable. And you can really if you think in hard enough and are creative enough, you can fit almost anything into this thing and it still works. And so the whole communication, the whole big pow, bang, shebang, like all of that type of stuff still fits and it still works if you're good and creative. The problem is, is that people often aren't aware that they aren't good and that they aren't creative and they're actually corny. That's right. the problem. And so <laughs> like, <laughs> there, there are people like, for example, you, everyone knows I have a storied, st- I, hatred is too strong of a word. I have a story dislike of the vast majority of Christian rap because yeah. most of it was very corny. Um uh, right. so it's like it's not about like there's plenty of rap songs that are out now that I dislike that I don't like. But I'm like, right. okay, this is actually good production, good sound, good flow. I don't like the song, but it's but it's you know all the other right. stuff is there. But it's like no 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 no. Just because you're doing it for Christ doesn't mean it's good. It's still corny. It's very corny. It's very bad. And I think that's the problem. It's like, oh, well, God is going to lead us. It's like, no, sis. No, bro. This is corny.
0: (laughs) It kind of makes me think about how when we're talking about no side chicks, like, I really can see this. I can see this being basically marketed to, like, marriage ministries, especially in Black churches.
1: I mean, yeah, I'm positive. I'm sure she's very dynamic. I'm sure that she knows how to get a rise out of the crowd and and i'm not even saying that in a way to disparage her like I'm, i i really don't think she i don't think most people in the situation, you know in situations like this are sitting here thinking about what's the best way to get over on people like they really do believe that they're doing something good, that oh, doing something no, I, good. I don't they have really, any, i don't have any you know,
0: doubt in my mind about it like but,
1: but that's why i really think what people don't realize is that re- people who are very religious are very vulnerable. Yep. And yes, the, the congregations, but also people like this, it's like, people like that are vulnerable because they are so committed to their beliefs that, and they believe so strongly that there isn't much help available outside of these beliefs that they don't change. Right. And they're not willing to listen. And so they leave themselves and others in a ditch. Um, (laughs) It's just what happens, but, I mean, are you going to the side chick revival? Are you going? Verdell. What?
0: Verdell, now you know.
1: I'm just asking.
0: Mm Mm-mm. Not on today. No, not never. Mm. For what? (laughs) Well, I mean, it might be fun. Man, look, if I were to do that, I would be sitting there Probably t- live tweeting and clowning the entire thing. Like it would just be, it would just be, cause I would just sit there and think, oh my goodness. I really cannot believe that we're actually having a session on I mean, how not to be a side chick.
1: But you know, I'll say this and then I'm done with it. I think the thing that, And this is the thing that bothers me. is these situations. We know why situations like this happen. And I feel like it ultimately ends up in people being taken advantage of. We know why people are doing things. It's it's because people don't know how to relate to one another. People don't know how to be honest in their relationships or their sexuality or any of these other things. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is what happens. This, This is totally what happens. People get married because they feel like they're supposed to Or that if they're not married, then they're nothing when they don't really want to get married, you know, all sorts of things like that. And and instead of really dealing with the real issue. And I still think it's harsh because if you read like in first, if people want to be all Bible about it, if you read first Corinthians, Paul is not crazy about marriage. Right. Like Paul is not like Paul really is like, well, and he basically is like a holy road. He's like, listen, look, if you really trying to be battled for Christ, you need to be like me and forget about this whole marriage and sex thing because sex takes up sex and marriage takes up so much of your time. But since you can't manage to be on my level of spirituality.
0: Like the, like the shade of the,
1: <laughs> yeah, the if you if, shade, if for like... some reason you can't be like me and be celibate and focus your whole entire life on God like me, then go ahead and get married. So at least come together, screw, and be done with it if you can't really be, like, if you can't be as spiritually mature as I am. um, And that's Paul. So the idea that we have, like, marriage ministries and all other things, Paul would be – not and not that they're totally useless or pointless, but I think that it's important to acknowledge in the text that Paul himself – Actual Paul, not like fake Paul, who writes some of the other stuff later on. Um, <laughs> fake that, Paul, that, which I guess that should be Sunday school topic at some point too, right? Yes, but, it but, should. But, but the actual Paul, the real Paul, who wrote some of his own stuff, um, he really wasn't too pressed about marriage. Like he was, it was a concession more or so than a mandate. Um, and so it just, it always, it's always entertaining to see people really go so hard for marriage when paul is like listen if you really bought it for christ you'd be like me and not care you know but that's all i have to say about um um, pastor no side check do you have anything else
0: i can't it's just i mean what is there to say like it just makes me think about that gif with DJ Khaled. Congratulations, you played yourself.
1: I mean, listen, she's probably going to the bank. Like, if I'm being real, like, if any like, she's gonna get money. People are gonna sign oh, up. No, for
0: she's that. gonna get her coins. I'm not saying that, but I'm talking about the people that actually went and thought that that was actually going to keep them from becoming a side chick.
1: People want to feel empowered. They want to feel like there's some type of way to build themselves up to get some. Like, it's
0: right. It's... Let Let me just. Let me avoid all these these feelings of uncertainty and vulnerability, um, and not and not listen to my gut when I know I can't trust somebody.
1: So well, you know how I feel about all that. these I, I feel like a lot of common church negates your ability to listen to your gut, but that's oh, a whole yeah. other conversation. I feel like you oh, you don't learn how to. Yeah. Listen. You focus so hard on trying to hear God's voice that you never know how you sound anymore. But that's a conversation for
0: another Sunday school.
1: Yeah. But, um, so are we done with, with her? Can we leave her? And her enterprise behind. So these last two, I kind of want to link together. I just realized that I don't really, I I realized that one of them was old, was older, like a few years old. Um, and so, well, I'll just talk about this that way. It doesn't sound confusing. So we have Paula Williams used to be, um, a, megachurch pastor and at some point in paula's ministry paula decided to um come out and disclose um her struggles with gender um uh what what's the what's the word i forgot the word and i'm and i'm don't want to say it wrong well she came out as transgender and told people close to her and she ended up losing her her church job speaking opportunities And all this in a matter of like a week, just snatched, gone. And Paula was a no slouch. Like Paula had numerous degrees, wrote books, taught at universities, was a well sought after um, speaker and preacher. And so all that stuff just boom, disappeared, was gone. It was snatched from her. Um, And so that was really sad. it's, It's a common story, but, you know, you'll usually only hear the bigger ones. But right. the other one that I want to say, talk about that fits into this is the more recent one that happened in the past few days. So, <sighs> okay, <are> you ready? <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah, good. Let's, like, wait a minute. You're, like, exhaling. I'm like, Lord, this is.
1: Because this is, this is. Uh, oh, well. Anyway, do you know who James Hall is?
0: If he sounds vaguely familiar. Like, I'm not really into gospel music like that. So I'm not like as aware. In my but gospel
1: choir years, we okay. sung a bunch of James Hall songs. So I'm well aware of him. Um James Hall apparently filed a lawsuit against um someone by the name of Jeffrey Thomas. Um asking him to stop his rumors and seeking about $15 million in damages because he said that he's seeking to ruin his reputation. J- James Hall is denying that he had a relationship with one Mr. Jeffrey Thomas. Um, and so that's been kind of lining up the gospel, the, the, the gospel in the, in, in, the, in the gay church adjacent folks. Um, and it's been kind of the, the issue. And so what happened also is that apparently he was posting pictures of people, and so oh. it involves a bunch of other folks too. Um, and so, so wait a minute, he's
0: like dragging other people into this.
1: Well, apparently, what and I'm just going off what I read because at some point I was kind of like, okay, I'm kind of over it. So whatever happened, and apparently at some point in the past, this person they they posted a picture on the internet and one the the Jeffrey guy was under some covers and he had his shirt off and the other guy James was in the background and you can tell they're both intending to take the picture like it wasn't like a gosh type of picture but people were saying stuff about that picture that it looked funny quote unquote or whatever and so they're Mm. like nah it's just you know Um, but apparently he's Apparently, I think from what I read too, this Jeffrey guy, he's no longer a bishop. Like he he came totally out of the closet. He's not a part of the church anymore, or anything like that. Um and so Thomas is saying that Hall rejected him numerous times. Um and all of that. So Yeah. That's what's happening. James Hall is saying that it was a time when Jeffrey Thomas was really sick and he was just being a good friend to him. And that's really it that he's trying to destroy him in his career. So yeah, that's where we are. Wow. Well, I want to know where $15 million was coming from. That's my first question. Who I, I want to know who has that. Um, but you know, as entertaining at times as this can be, I will admit. Um, I think for me, I want to approach it a different way because okay. it's. I think what usually happens is, when situations like this take place, it's always about oh, see, look at those down low preachers. See, you can't trust them, pastors. They be doing this and that. You know, whatever, whatever. And it's always the main focus is always on oh, this pastor or this preacher lied or was on the DL or didn't do whatever, 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 whatever. And so there's that piece. That's usually what happens. I think the piece that people continue to forget is that, though, those situations are created because people can't be themselves and be who they are without losing. Like, think about it. Even straight dudes can sleep with every woman they find and they still keep their jobs for the most part. Yep. So the idea that, let's say they were together, or let's say, or even, forget about that, let's just say, and you know what the part that sucks is that men can't even have close intimate relationships, and I mean intimate as in they're close, they're like really close friends, best friends, like brothers, they can't even be, they can't even have a close friendship without being worried about being perceived as gay, whether they actually are or not, Uh, that's that's the part that really sucks, but... I mean, ugh, I don't know. What What do you, like, tell me your thoughts. You, you say I'm something.
0: Just, I, let me just, what's so ridiculous is, you're right that because people can't be allowed to be who they are, these type of scenarios happen. And then on the forefront of that, I mean, like, mixed in with all of this is that you also have situations where, you know, you get involved with someone and things go left. And, you know, you see, unfortunately, the way people, you see see people for, you see how people really behave when they're rejected or when um, they're hurt or when, when things end. And it's like, it's, it's really just troubling because that is, that is something that if we're calling ourselves believers and we're saying that, you know, we, we can, we know how we have comfort for, you know, for loss and, and all these things, but when it, when the chips are really down, we we really act like everybody else.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like, that's just, that's the really messed up part about it. And that when you, like, the the idea that, unfortunately, in in our culture, particularly church culture, especially evangelicalism, I don't know are the most dangerous three, like, the most dangerous three words you can utter in a sentence ever. Like, to say that is just so
1: dangerous. Because you're supposed to have an answer for everything. Right um, and, and, you know, they're, they're, um, and I won't, of course, there's some a human level of pettiness. And I mean, and the whole gospel gay circles is usually our debates about, you know, people talking about coming out and all the other mm-hmm. stuff. But there's also the reality that coming out can usually be pretty damaging to your life, your career, your relationships, all of that. Right. And it's not that messiness does not occur. And right. that's stuff that's wrong. I'm not, you know, like you know, like let's say, for example, that, um, they did have a thing going on, and and old boy starts recent stuff because he's mad that he broke up with him or whatever. Right. Um, that's wrong. It's wrong. Um, and if he, and he needs to be careful because at some point he might be able to catch a charge because of this, so he needs to be careful about that type of stuff too. Right. And so yeah, that's totally wrong. Still, I think still the fact that me saying hey. I'm gonna tell everybody that you know, you know, we used to have sex or whatever. The the fact that that is a threat, yeah. um, speaks more to me that the culture is still needs to change, right? Uh, because how many other preachers can that that doesn't hurt them one bit, right? Um, you know, and that's just yeah, it really that 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 in and of itself is just uh, and I hope and I wish that. Um, at some point we can do better. I don't, well, actually, no. Let me not say we, because I had a revelation about this. I'm not a part of any of these churches anymore. <laughs> like, I am not on anybody's membership role. And so it's not, I am concerned about it. It's something it takes up my mind and my heart, but I recognize that at some point it, it's not totally in my hands to do anything about it anymore. So... Yeah, but it just sucks. It sucks all around. And it really sucks because, I mean, <laughs> if you look at these pictures of them, it's like, you know, they had the big old glasses and all the other. it's It's such a flair that, and, and it's not that every every person, every man who dresses like this is, quote, unquote, gay or whatever. Right. But it's that so much of the flair and the pop and the circumstance is the result of queer culture. Mm. That's the thing. And so the people are de- like, I you know, see it all the time. It's like, you know, um, Pastor saying talking about shade and tea mm. and some of the, the the suits that they wear and the way that services are orchestrated or the songs and the dramatics. Mm-hmm. That's queer people who made the type of stuff up. Like, if you take away women and queer people, the Black church just closes down. Like, there's no one there. Like, there's literally no one there. It's like three people, and one of them came in by mistake. Um, (laughs) And so it's just this idea that we can use, we can utilize people's talents and contributions in, in, in cultural production and disparage them. It's just, ugh. But yeah, I just think the bigger problem is not so much that oh well, there's these DL pastors. Is that we we still have churches where you you can't be yourself, which right. people aren't DL because I mean, think about it. It's not the whole idea like the average person isn't telling everybody who who they've had sex with every single second, of every single day. Right. So it's bigger than that. The fact is that they can't be honest about who they are and who in their relationships. Like 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 they they can't live in a way. They have to eat like, you know, people have to eat, do all sorts of things. And, you know, good and doggone well, if they're if if keeping a secret about you and your stuff was between you having a job or you being out of a job, you keep your mouth closed, too. So, again, it's the culture. So that's all I have to say about them and that. You have anything to add?
0: I just think it's kind of funny to me because it's like I just don't get people that are still trying to perpetrate and act like the church is somehow exempt from the messiness. Like you're not. You know, you have folks that are, you know, they have their own agendas and trying to move, move, you know, up in the world and they will use whom or whatever to get to that point or to maintain a certain level of power. So it's just, or to keep certain groups in line. So it's just, I don't know. I guess I just see it as like, you know, the, the beginning stages of a, of a dying of of death, I guess.
1: I mean, the church is I don't think the church will ever totally go away, but it will become less and less a factor in... Well, I mean... When I
0: say say death, I mean, I'm I'm talking about in terms of, like, systems, not, like, mm -hmm. the whole thing altogether.
1: I mean, it's a matter of time. They're going to have... They'll have to change or not exist. And I think that's why, I mean, even in the midst of what's happening with the election, with the election that happened, and, you know, people putting Trump in the office... this won't be able to happen again. Right. At least not in this way. Um, they won't be able to rely on white power and white voting power and white religion, white Christianity like this. They'll have to have different strategies. So we're even though this is, you know, a harrowing situation right now, it really is one of the last hurrahs. So is that all we have for talking about these folks? Yes. Well, all right, let's take a break and then come back. Hey, family, thanks for tuning in to the show. You can follow us on Twitter at Dell and Jess. That's D-E-L-L-A-N-D-J-E-S-S. And if you have any questions or thoughts or whatever else, um, just not spam, uh, email us at the and Jess Show at gmail.com.
0: Hi, it's Jess. And we're back for our Sunday school edition of the Dell and Jess show. And- We are going to talk about money cometh and other popular (laughs) terms from the prosperity gospel. If you haven't heard that one, there are a few others that you might have heard of, such as sowing a seed or the law of increase or as uh, Israel was saying, no limits. No boundaries I see increase so we're going to talk about the prosperity gospel and I just want to first ask Verdell what is the prosperity gospel
1: so um, it's a word that so, so many people have clearly Christian folks have thrown around but it's has it's not really been, a, it's a body of work around it in the scholarly world, but not as much as you might think. It's been some recent additions, but the, nuance of, the nuances of it haven't been explored. So the prosperity gospel, just to give a quick, a quick brief and dirty, is a theological concept um, that was developed. It's, it's, it's purely a, definitely a, an American product. Um, It's a theological idea that God wants us to be happy and blessed now in our, our, you know, present lives and that the demonstration of God's wealth and pleasure with us and, and more so the evidence that we are good Christians who have good faith is by the material prosperity of our lives. And so... The idea that people get sick or that people are poor or other things, the prosperity gospel is like, well, to faithful believers, that's just a no. Like God, God wants you healthy, wealthy and wise sort of thing. Um, and so our bank accounts and our material belongings and our physical health um, should reflect the fact that, you know, Jesus is with us, so to speak. And so it also um, employs the idea, a lot of positive confessions. So, you know, like when you just kind of, you know, belted into the microphone, money coming. Um, And so little things like that, like, you know, I am too blessed to be stressed. I'm blessed and highly favored. I'm the head not the tail, all these other things that people like to say, and that those and others are like these affirmations or positive sayings that you're supposed to decree and declare and speak over your life, quote unquote. Um that's you enacting your faith and activating your faith. Um so did that make sense? I don't know if that did that was that clear at all? I feel like I might have said that's it in a roundabout way.
0: No, that's actually quite clear.
1: Okay. Um I will say though that there's many variations of it. And so um some scholars say that it's like the hard prosperity gospel, which would be like Creflo Dollar, Kenneth Copeland, um, folks like that. And then like the soft prosperity gospel where you have folks like Joel Osteen and other folks like that. And and even that line, it can be a blurry line. But I would say the dividing line is that if you look at older things, like if you know like um, Jim and Tammy Faye Baker mm-hmm. um, and, and, and like TBN, like Paul and Jan Crouch and, and Creflo Dollar, the, the gaudiness and in, in the gaudy display of wealth. Um, you know, matching Rolls Royces and mansions and private jets and just a display of look at all that we have, that that is really more of an old school thing. Okay. But now newer school is more along the lines of lifestyle blogs and lifestyle management type of thing, like inspiration meme type of thing where you speak a thing you know you can have it all or you can be all that type of stuff you can have success but it's still a lot of the same principles it's just not as in your face and gaudy about it
0: okay okay well that that clears a few things up um so how do you see the prosperity gospel today in evangelicalism
1: um I think I touched a little bit on it in what I was saying before. I think that, I mean, at this point, the prosperity gospel proper, or you're for it or against it, and so the people who are already desperate against the prosperity gospel, in theory, um, they they know it. So, it's like, if you were to, you know, these are the folks who 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 um, scoff at seeing a, 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 you know, um, a Joel Osteen book or a Paula White book, like they'll scoff at the type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, what I think though, is that it's morphed. I don't think it's gone away. Right. I think that the prosperity gospel has morphed okay. and it has morphed to meet the logics of the day. Not to sound super nerdy, but basically it, it's it's reshaped itself to match the understandings of the world today, and even I don't like to use big clunky words. Like we are living like in a post-regonomics mm-hmm. a, to use a, another clunky word, neoliberal word, right. um, neoliberal world, and so okay. neoliberalism is just the I you get know, the idea. Well, there's actually there's a bunch of definitions. The definition that I will use today uh, is that neoliberalism is. Promotes the idea that public resources are better managed by private institutions. Um, so that's the piece that we'll go with today. That makes sense that we're talking about. So that's neoliberalism for us today. That um, pro- that public resources are better used, a better managed and distributed by private resources. So your student loans, um, even though they might be good, I, mean, I try and think of an example. I, I try and think of an example that makes sense. Yes. Like, I'm like, mm-hmm. 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 sorry, go ahead.
0: I, well, no, I think that's absolutely right. It ties into the conversation that we had about uh, with TJ speaking at that, you know, religious religion and po- political forum, I guess, mm-hmm. talking about, you know, tithing versus in and charity and, and mm-hmm. dealing with issues of poverty and how you're taking money in my out of my paycheck and then you're asking me to give more. And even though all the money that I'm throwing at it as charity is not even putting a dent in the issue, and then you have a situation where the money that you're taking out of my paycheck or the money that I give to the the government um, in the amount of taxes is not even being used to address the issues of poverty. Mm -hmm. So, Yeah. yeah. You know, so that's, I mean, the idea that, well, public things should be are best managed by, you know, private institutions, or there's the buzzword, being good stewards. Mm-hmm. That's, that's that's another common mm-hmm. refrain that well, I, see I, mean,
1: I mean, Well, yeah, and I mean, this is a, something that, you know, especially since Reagan, that the United States and the world at large has been engulfed in. And so we've all come up in this neoliberal era. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, it's, you know, the government is doing less and private institutions and individuals are expected to do more. And a lot of this was in a response to the Civil Rights Movement and the gains made there. And so even the whole things like, you know, this is going way far back, but <laughs> you talk about FDR and the way he expanded um, right. public, so, you know, um, um, you know, the social welfare net. And mm-hmm. as soon as blacks were able to gain more access to that, you know, because of stuff that happened South African civil rights movement, right, that began to be chipped away, right. Um, and so it's a way that America and capitalism uses race as a pivot to dodge and do certain things. But that's another conversation for another day. But what happens if you have a neoliberal, as it described it, society? You have the perfect place for something like the prosperity gospel to grow. Because the prosperity gospel also puts the emphasis on the individual. It's about you and your faith and how much faith do you have. And Mm. if you have faith as a mustard seed, then you can have everything that you need. There are no true victims in the prosperity gospel because, you know, Jesus paid it all. And it really is no excuse for you not to be you know, healthy, wealthy, and wise. It's because of your lack of faith. And so it's your job to build your faith up because faith is like a muscle. And it's also like currency. It's like Chuck E. Cheese, (laughs) Discovery Zone. And the more tickets, the more things you can get. And so people, this is what pushes people to go to the conferences and they go and they learn and they get the books and the merchandise because it builds their faith. But also like Chuck E. Cheese, the truth is, how many people do you know actually win the, the things that people really want from, like, the, the ticket exchange place? Right. You know, like, they might have, like, a Sega Genesis. Well, I'm, I'm telling my age, or not They have a Sega Genesis <laughs> up there, and they have... Um, you know, a, a CD this man or a wonk man, whatever. And it's like 10,000 tickets and you play your hardest at the basketball game. And the most you'll get is five tickets. Right. <laughs> and so by the time you get even like, even with a hundred, not, I mean, you have to spend some serious money to even get something that's halfway reasonable. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's really how it is. Is that it's, it's this idea that there are no victims um your prosperity is a matter of your faith and if you're not prosperous then you don't have enough faith mm-hmm. and you don't have enough trust right. and so the way that you grow this faith is by you know meditating meditating on scriptures, it's by going to church, it's by praying but it's also primarily by giving you give you sow into the ministry you sow into good ground and good ground is usually the ministries that are preaching these, Things, right. the, the, the preaching ministries and things like that. That's so you right. go to the conferences, you buy the books, you watch the movies, you get the Bible cover, all the, you, could, you know, all these things, you know, you buy the tape and listen to it in the car, strengthen your faith. And you get all these things to help you build up your faith. So that way it's strong enough to get the things that you want.
0: So I take it in this prosperity gospel, the idea of suffering and trial is not really factored in because you need to have faith that can move mountains. And if you're suffering, it's because you didn't work the system.
1: New again, it's nuance. And I think anytime you take any type of theology like that, you can pick out generalities. It's general things you can find, but it's never always a just one tried and true way. Mm-hmm. Usually what you see with in this, depending on how harsh or, or how hard a prosperity gospel the, the preacher in, in question is, is, is adhering to, suffering can be something that you rebuke, like the idea that you have spiritual power and you need to rebuke the devil and, you know, rebuke the devil off of your life. Rebuke the devil off of your finances. So one phrase that I would that I heard when I was at church is, you know, about canceling the power of those words and canceling the assignment of the enemy. Um, because if the devil is attacking you, that means worth attack something attacking, which means that you're being successful. So that means that you need to rebuke the devil to use your power to tell the devil to get off of your stuff. Um, think of it tantamount to um, chasing bugs away from your crops, so to speak. And that if you have the, the the right juice, you can do it. Um, and so, but there are others who try to make sorrowful for suffer say that ultimately it's a trial, it's a test to hang on. So you have a range there with that.
0: Okay. So, how do you think? Um, what do you think of? I guess my question is, do you think the price, what is prosperity, the prosperity gospels impact on the decline or the, the shift in regards to um, religious engagement?
1: You know, I think that's interesting because I think most people, well, most people in America have don't really have a worldwide view. Um, Christianity And religion in general is, in terms of institutional religion, is declining. So I'm not talking about people's faith. I'm talking about, like, you know, institutions like churches and things like that, denominations. They're generally in decline. Um, But all over the world, um, Christianity is booming. And particularly in, like, Africa, in the global south, things like that. And the main stream of Christianity that's booming is the prospectful. Um, you have what's the guy's name? Joseph Prince. Have you heard of him?
0: Yes. Okay, so I I've been with the heard churches
1: in the the what? The Philippines? And yes, he, has and he church, actually You know, in the hair and all of that. And yeah. And and he has the books. And in Korea, the largest church, I forgot the guy's name, the largest church in the world. It was a prosperity church. Um, And so, again, I I think it's important to stop for a second and back up a bit to add some type of context to that, though. Um, Because America was a unique place for the prosperity gospel to build up. Um, When you had, particularly the industrial age, um, you had um, people who were leaving their farm you know, their urban areas. I mean, their rural areas to move to urban cities. And you already had a place where people believed that the United States was still like, you know, American myths, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, all that type of thing. And capitalism and all of that. And also the Protestant work ethic, which existed already. And so the Protestant work ethic is the idea, um, particularly from, you know, reform Calvinist type of theology that if you are among the elect, then you will be blessed. And that it'll be obvious by the work of your hands and by the character that you conduct with your everyday calling in life. Um, And so again, that wasn't, it's not exactly the prosperity gospel, but those things kind of create the ground for the prosperity gospel to create. And what also happens in the secular world is that when you have people going into cities, they're moving into places where they don't know anybody, right? And so prior to the move to the cities, People spent the majority of their lives around the same 30 to 50 people who they knew. And so you can rely on things like character, reputation, um, generational relationships, things like that. When you move to the city, you don't have any of that. And so you have to find different ways to come, you know, make a leg up. And so you have people, this whole positive thinking thing that comes out of nowhere. Like, you know, if you think it, it'll happen. And particularly when you get into like the early 20th century, you have folks like Norman Vincent Peale, who mm-hmm. is a huge deal when you're talking about um, prosperity, gospel, you know, new age thought, Christianity type of things. This idea if you think it and believe it, it's yours type of thing. Mm-hmm. And these folks, you know, that this is where this type of stuff comes from. And so I would say that, it has, its global impact has not diminished. It just left America. But I would also say that the prosperity gospel has diffused in, into, it's it's a part of our culture because, I mean, not to sound all, you know, lefty on, on folks or whatever, but it's it's capitalism. It's our country, the way that we view money, the way that we view success, the way that we all, too many of us still think that we're only some belief in elbow grease away from really being super successful. And so also when you have like, you know, people talk about millennials, but you have millennials who by and large have been disenfranchised from the American dream who are reaching for some way to make that happen. And even historically among African-Americans who have also heavily adopted the prosperity gospel, Even with them, I mean, with with them, with us, (laughs) um, we've never had the luxury of preaching a faith that did not somehow talk about material things because we didn't have it, and we had to find a way to, to 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 get them. And so, even even that cultural reality adds some nuance to the prosperity gospel, where it's like, oh, okay, well, this emanated from you know these are these are generally poor, poorer black brown folks who don't have anything and so it's a difference when it doesn't mean it's safe any safer or any healthier but it's a difference if it's some i mean just to be frank if it's some white guy who's talking about you know having faith to go to the nations and some poor preacher at some poor black preacher at a storefront who doesn't even have money to keep his lights on believing that saying an affirmation of a scripture five times is going. To, it's what's going to keep his faith built up. Those are different context. Mm-hmm. Um And so I think that, yeah, it, it's influenced, it's diffused, <clears throat> it's a part of our culture because the things that allow for it to exist in the first place are still there. We still all think that it's just the hop we we still think that our hard work and that our, we can basically have life like a, like the blogs and we can build a life and, and it doesn't mean that we can't like i think one critique i get when i talk about it sometimes is that oh well bro are you saying that people shouldn't dream people should not have hopes and i get that um, it's not that it's not that you should not work for what you want it's not that you should not dream or strive for your dreams that can still be done in the context of being, understanding about how success actually works in America. Mm -hmm. Um, And understanding how class works and Mm -hmm. and some understanding of how economics works and all these things and how it's like, look, the vast majority of us will die in the class that we were born in. Mm -hmm. Even if you yourself escape, your family likely will not. Um, The average American cannot afford an expense of over $400 without having to take out credit. The average American does not have more than $1,000 in their bank account. The average American has at some point been through a bout of unemployment, loss of job, poverty, regardless of their race. This is four out of five Mm -hmm. Americans. And so the idea that everybody's not lazy Everybody isn't not everybody is sitting at home collecting a welfare check. Even people who collect welfare work, um, and so there's a myth that we believe about the reality of the United States. That until we are sober up about it, we're going to keep believing some of the things that the prosperity gospel um, presents for us. Well, well, well. That's that's a reality check. I mean, it's it's sobering, and I get it. I know that it's harsh to, it's hard for people to hear that and understand it and to grasp it, but it's true. It's that, like, go for your dreams. Go for, for work hard for them. Right. I think for me, it's a tenet from Taekwondo. It's always to say is that um, it matters not if we reach the peak. The reward is just the climb. Go mm-hmm. for it. The difference is, though, is that don't think, like, just think about that this logically. If God is love and God loves everybody, right? Like, it just, it really has some really terrible things to say about God if that's how God actually works. That if, you know, like, and also a large, like, you probably will see a bump in it because, you know, a lot of people, like, prosperity preachers supported Trump. You know, they thought that he was a good thing. Um. I think that it's really, really important to sit back and think about our understandings of money and how that that flows. And I know that, um, I mean, we all have beliefs in things that we can't totally see, you know, at some point. And I get that. I think the bigger question is, what do your beliefs say about you and other people? What are the implications of your belief? And so if you think that because you're Christian and you happen to say the right thing, that you're going to get what you want eventually, That makes God a genie. Yep. And so how does that work? And think about the people in Flint. I'm sure they've been asking for clean water. And so why don't they have it? And I think there's also the thing about how for a church to be successful now, they basically have to become a brand. Yep. Um, They have to become a marketing brand. They have to become a marketable business. And that's how T.D. Jakes got big. You know, he, he, his rise to fame was off the woman thou art loosed. Yep. And so the idea was that women can be loosed and that he was anointed to loose them. And so the books and the movies and all of that, and T.D. Jakes has done, and going back to what you were saying earlier, he's done so much to try to distance himself from being a prosperity preacher. I think though, for me, that is just, it doesn't make sense because he's still, it's a soft prosperity gospel. I will say that. It's not as, it's definitely not harsh. Harsh and crude, harsh and crude like a Creflo dollar. Like Creflo is almost, you know, he's he's crude in the way he is with it, you know. Um, But it's still prosperity. It's still these prosperity ideas and, and it's still connected to these ideas um, and I think that T.D. Jakes is intelligent enough um, to actually grasp that. Um, but he, look, maybe he's changing or whatnot. But I just think that um, the prosperity gospel is—it fits in very well with American culture, and so it probably will be around because it, it can change just enough to stay relevant.
0: I agree. I definitely don't see it going anywhere. Um, I guess my, I was going to say, I think for me, I think I see it as just another code. Like I see it as another, another means for churchianity <laughs> to present itself and to keep going. Mm-hmm because it's like no one is actually really honest about you know the sermons and the messages and 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 the things that are done to keep the lights on and to pay the staff and to you continue to pay money for services and you know have money so the pastor can eat <laughs> Mm -hmm. So I just think it's one of those things where it's like, oh, another hustle. And I know it's, I know in, in some instances, it's, it really genuinely is like, it's really, truly genuinely believed. So I can't really dig on someone, you know, who is, who sincerely believes this, but It's, I guess for me, it's, I'm just, I guess I've just become very cynical about it because it's like, oh, this is just another, another way to, you know, amass influence and power.
1: I mean, I think, yes, there's that. I think it's another way to view it, too, which I think is important in that the reason why this catches on is because people don't have any other way to provide for themselves. Like this is people don't have stuff and people haven't Mm -hmm. had stuff for a long time, if we're being Mm -hmm. honest. And so, again, nuances, those nuances there, like you have folks, you know, like like think about even Paula White, like Paula White was poor. You know? And so she didn't mm. have anything. All these, you know, har- harsh life, all the other stuff. Like she has a life that if you read it, you know, somebody, this sounds like something that somebody would rap about in the 90s, you know? And so, mm-hmm. the prosperity gospel has appealed to someone like her because it's a way to get out. And the reason why it's a way to get out is because there's no access to anything else. There's no jobs. And the jobs that they do have, there's, there's no way for, you know, there's no mobility upward for them. There's no way to, there's no access to schooling. It's it's so right. many things. And the prosperity gospel, while it tends to still steer conservative, it's room to do things, particularly like for women and things like that. Like it's room for different types of expression that you might not see in more angelical mainline churches. And so it's some flexibility there that allows it to be useful and, and helpful for people Um and I'm not saying that in defense, because I think the, the prosperity gospel is completely wrong. But people believe it and adhere to it, not because they've kind of weighed the options and said, oh, this makes sense. It's that they don't have anything else to rely on. Right. Like, there's no other access. And so the only thing I have to do is to look up. Now, I will say that that, that there are other things we can do. But again, the average person isn't necessarily... You know, not, not, not that they don't care about politics, but we're talking about things like organizing and other possibilities for health care and things like that. You know, maybe they don't really quite know all of that. Maybe they don't have all access to that. And if they do, they might not have even the the time or the wherewithal to or help to organize around it. Because if you're working, you know, right. working, if you're doing shift work, you may, probably don't have time necessarily to go to, to the latest organizing meeting. You know, you might not. Who knows? You just might not. Um and so in a world where it's an argument to pay people who work fast food fifteen dollars, mm. um asking God for an increase makes makes sense
0: because you don't have
1: any other option. Um and so I think that needs to be held up. Um it's a way for people to feel seen like for as just to be frank, as silly in my opinion, a lot of the Women Without Art Loose stuff is. um, The idea that this man, who you don't know, somehow has intimate insight into your experiences as a woman and can set you free with his books and products. Um, As, on the one hand, as ridiculous as that sounds, it also is a space for women to be seen and women to be centered and women to be on the front row in a dynamic way that they often aren't in other churches. Um, and so I... it's that other piece that's there as well. And so that's why it can be so hard when you're talking about the prosperity gospel to try to get people to see the other side, because yeah, all that stuff is true, but look at all the women who are up there and don't and didn't you all say y'all wanted more women? And look at the choir and look at this and Look at that check they gave to the Ruck Center downtown. The other the AME church couldn't give twenty five thousand dollars, but the word of faith church up the the street could. Those type of things are hard because, you know, now the kids have swings and and the women are seen and the music is great. And so that can make it challenging to have those conversations. Mm.
0: So As someone that is familiar with the prosperity gospel, how do you decide to engage with those relationships with those who are still very much immersed in it? Like, what's your cut off?
1: So you first have to figure out what you can and can't do. I think it starts first with yourself. You have to first figure out what you can tolerate and what you can't. You head out, you head out, you head out, you have to set some boundaries. And that means that maybe some of the dynamics of your relationships have to change. So, for example, I have a friend, and I was telling him about, you know, I was going through a really bad stint of of joblessness and whatnot, and mm-hmm. so I was just really feeling really bad, and so and it was a long time, and so I was telling him what was going on, and he asked me, he said, "Okay, I have a question for you." I said, well, "What? Before we go further, like, you know, is there anyone that you're resenting? Do you are you harboring any unforgiveness in your heart anywhere, or anything like that?" And so. At first, I was just like, Negro, are you serious? Like, I got mad. But then I realized that, okay, no, he really is trying to help me. And even though it's not helpful, <laughs> right. Right. it's not helpful and it's not good, he's in his mind, he's really trying to help me with the tools that he has at his disposal. And so I think it's right. up to us to figure out and to discern who has the ability to help us in certain situations he is, I'm not going to talk to him about my money issues. And like, I'm not going to discuss it because he the way he approaches it is a way that I, I just, I don't want to hear it. It's not me. I don't believe it. I think it's harmful. That means I don't share that information with him anymore. Gotcha. That, that That's what that means. Um, it also means, so it doesn't mean you go around beating people over the head too. Sometimes instead of saying, Oh no, that's wrong. It's fair to say, okay, Let's declare the word over our lives and let's set up a savings account. <laughs> <laughs> or, <laughs> yes, let's declare the word of the Lord over our lives and we're going to go to the doctor. Hmm. And usually when you do it that way, it's not that people are saying no, because when, when, you, when you negate what they say, they entrench themselves even further. But by, if you, if you, uh, I wouldn't say affirm, if you allow them to express their faith. Right. Then you'll be able to get to some other things. Right. Um, And I think it's the important piece that you need to allow them to express their feelings and their faith. And once you do that, like just do that and then go from there because maybe they won't change their minds. I mean, belief is not about logic. It's about. Community. It's about belonging. It's about a sense of security, and so you can't fact check someone out of the prosperity gospel because it's not based in facts. It's based in community. It's based in belief. It's based in it's based in your own ritualistic practices and understandings, which we all have them. Some of them are right. some that are focused toward a deity or a spiritual power or not, but we all have those types of things. So that's what I would say is like understand what your boundaries are. And then realize a certain information, you don't need to tell them. That may be your friend. That may, may be your ace. But if you know how, talk about how, you know, wow, I really, you know, like, think about it. Like, I was talking about how broke I was. And he was asking me about, you know, well, Riddell, are you? And again, he was trying to help. And So I'm not saying it's to yeah. bash him. But that's, right. what, that, that's what he was thinking. And it's like, I didn't mean to hear that. Like, right. well, are you, are you, and my question is, is God that petty that God will let me starve because I'm upset with somebody else? Let's say if that was the case, God's going to let my student loans default and my refrigerator go bare and my, and let me be homeless on because I had an argument with somebody and I felt a way about it. Really? Is God that petty? Um, um, but again, it's not kind of based on logic. It's a based on, is very right. situational. Um, they generally don't think that far. And you know what, too? The prosperity gospel is very encouraging and motivational. It puts the power in your hands. It mm-hmm. makes it seem as if you are in control. You have the ability to do something. And that's something that even a lot of academic theologies, they just don't tend to do it. They tend to be very high-minded and, and very you know, deconstructive. But they don't necessarily tell you what you can do to change your life. The prosperity gospel mm. does. Um, it's wrong, <laughs> but it tells you something. It, it's something to hold on to. And so I think that's really important to, to take note of.
0: Thanks for listening to another episode of Dell and Jess. If you like this episode, please comment and give us a five star rating on whatever platform you're using to listen to the show. Follow us on Twitter and at Dell and Jess and shoot us your questions, thoughts and ideas at the dell and jess show at gmail.com bye